We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. You know, I think we've been able to pivot relatively quickly, and now we have enough tools in our toolbox that if we go about this the right way in the next few weeks, you know, we will be young, maybe painfully young, but we will be talented. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Hey, 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 happy draft week, and welcome into the Her Hoop Stats podcast. I'm your host, John Little, what a week it has been. I hope you have the chance to check out our mock draft that we put out over the weekend. We have gotten a ton of great feedback off of this. Some people agree, some people disagree. That doesn't really matter. What really matters, it was a lot of fun to do. Whenever you heard this sound, you knew that a pick was coming. I mean, we just had a lot of fun with it and have some great experts that really love the WNBA and the women's game. And so you're going to love listening back to that one. That's uh, number 71. And now here for number 72, we continue our WNBA draft coverage and our run up to the draft on Friday by talking to a guy that has a whole lot of equity in this draft in Dallas Wings general manager, CEO, President Greg Bibb. We'll get to him in a second. But I did want to make you aware of a great feature that we've got going on on Her Hoop Stats this week. We're doing basically our own um, prediction model where you can predict who you think will go in the first round of the WNBA draft and the person that gets the closest actually wins prizes. So go to HerHoopStats.com or follow us on our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, to figure out how to enter. It's really easy. And if you want to prove how much you know about the WNBA draft going into it, 
All you got to do is enter in, totally free to enter, and you could win some great prizes. So make sure you do that. So Greg Bibb is our guest, the general manager, the CEO, the president of the Dallas Wings, and he is stocked up for the WNBA draft on Friday. Four of the first nine picks, as he will point out. You'll hear why he decided to uh, go after so much draft equity for this year. Uh, You will hear some of his approach going into it, like how much he craves talent going into this one, and also about how the draft could add exposure for the league as well. So Greg Bibb is our guest. Really great conversation with him. Let's get to it right now. Well, first of all, John, thanks for having me, and hopefully for anyone listening, they're staying safe um, and sane uh, in, in these crazy times. And, um, you know, everything we talk about today, obviously, is second to everyone remaining healthy uh, and, again, safe. Yeah, Greg, no doubt about that. Uh, you know, something that I was wondering is how much the cancellation of the rest of the NCAA basketball season, uh, the rest of the conference tournaments, the NCAA tournament, the WNIT. How much does that affect your preparation for the draft uh, where you would normally be going out and seeing those uh, key players in person, most likely uh, sometimes three, four, maybe even five more times? You know, certainly the NCAA tournament and in particular the Final Four are prime opportunities for us to continue to evaluate talent in a live setting. And I say continue because really the work around a draft class starts not months in advance of the NCAA tournament, but years in advance. As we track players, in most cases, their entire college career, and in some cases before their college career, Uh, if they're a player that has um, a large platform. Um, So I feel confident in the process that we undertake each year in terms of our draft. And this year, going into the draft, anticipating having, you know, more picks than in a typical year, we sort of double down on our our live coverage uh, of prospects and really spent a lot of time out on the road beginning in November, uh, right up until that final weekend when the majority of the women's conference tournaments were held obviously the big 12 is the exception to that Um, but we had the opportunity to see just about anyone we wanted to see outside of the big 12 uh, right up and through um, their respective uh, conference tournaments so uh, would love to have had the extra opportunity to see some folks uh, especially some of the players who may not be at the top end of the draft but that said we continue to prepare and feel good about the preparation we put into this point um, as it relates to april 17th and the draft on that day well, as we look at it, five of the first 15 picks are yours. I, that's just a, a staggering amount when you think about it. Even in a 12-team league, if you would have looked at it maybe two years ago and somebody would have told you, okay, in the 2020 draft, you're going to have five of the first 15. I, that that really is, uh, to me, just a jaw-dropping number. So how does uh, general manager and, and you, along with Coach Agler, how do you approach this with that kind of draft capital? It's just uncanny. Well, to answer your initial question, the answer would have been I wouldn't have believed them because at that time we had a roster development strategy in place that really centered around a couple of high-profile star players uh, and then building the roster around them. Um, For various reasons, that strategy has shifted over the last couple of years. 
Uh, I made a decision some time ago looking at the 2020 draft um, and thinking that it would be a talent-laden draft, particularly at the top end, um, to go ahead and really strategically try to aggregate as many assets relative to the draft as possible rather than looking um, at players who are currently in the league as potential assets in exchange for our, our players. Um, and then once it became clear that we were going to have a new CBA in place and that CBA incentivized players financially more so than in the past, I had a hunch that a relatively talented junior class may have some early entries as part of the 2020 draft. And that kind of reinforced my thinking in terms of um, trying to make deals that brought us back assets relative to the draft rather than making deals that brought back assets relative to players who are currently in the league. Um, so that's sort of how we ended up where we are. You build a strategy, and strategies are built over years, not months or certainly weeks or days. That strategy shifted. Um, so we took a long-term view on, on our roster and where we were organizationally and decided to go this route. And you know, I think if, if you look at the transactions we've made in terms of the number of picks we've been able to aggregate, you say five in the top 15. I like to say four in the top nine. Um, in addition to uh, related um, deals, bringing in a Stu Endor, bringing in um, a Katie Lou Samuelson, you know, I think we've been able to pivot – uh, relatively quickly, and now we have enough tools in our toolbox that if we we go about this the right way in the next few weeks, you know, we will be young. There's no doubt about that. Maybe painfully young, but we will be talented, and we'll have an opportunity if we so choose to do so to keep this core group of players together now for a relatively long uh, amount of time when you think about it in terms of, of teams and rosters and the arc of building a roster. It's not just one night, uh, like you're saying. It's been a couple years of building in this direction. But as you start to think about draft night, do you get a sense of, I mean, this is our pivotal moment for this franchise. We better not screw this up, or how, how do you think about it? Because it really is going to be a, a huge talent acquisition night for the Dallas Wings. Yeah, it's, there's no doubt about it. This is a really important draft, a really important night for us, and you know we need to hit it. And this is not an exact science process. As much work as you put in, as much film as you watch, as much live basketball as you uh, watch, you know, it, you're not quite sure until you can see that player and how they translate into our league against the world's best. We've been fortunate, I believe, in our recent draft history to do fairly well in the draft. When you think about, um, I believe, five all WNBA uh, rookie selections in the last four drafts, a rookie of the year in Alicia Gray and a rookie of the year runner-up last year in Enrique, who, by the way, had one of the best seasons from a rookie standpoint in the history of the league. So I think we've done relatively well. Have we had our misses and our mistakes? Of course. But in terms of what we've been able to do in the last four drafts, it's been decent. Uh, and I believe that in 2020, and we'll have the opportunity um, to do it again. Just to, to center in on that night, have you? How much have you visualized? How much have you gone over? Especially since those trades were made once free agency opened up, and and you started acquiring even more picks. How much have you visualized that night, and and how it might go? 
Well, certainly we had a line on the seniors that we anticipated being the draft and identified uh, the players within that group that we would have an interest in. And then, as I mentioned before, you speculate, right? And you don't know exactly what's going to happen in that regard, but you speculate. And if things fall the way we hope and think they're going to fall, we're going to have an opportunity to add not one, but two and maybe more than two really good players who could make an immediate impact on our team. Now, you know, the pushback is you have four picks in the top nine. You have six picks overall in this draft. You have two first round picks in next year's draft. And you have now 14 players under contract with camp and 12 roster spots. That's the problem. I would say that's a problem when the roster deadline hits and we need to submit 12 names to the league. Until that point, it's not necessarily a problem. Uh, We're going to be young. We're trying to create a a competitive environment in training camp whenever training camp happens and whatever it looks like. To do that, I think you bring in as many talented players as you can uh, within the rules and have them compete. Uh, And that's our strategy. And you think even back to last year, you, uh, in a couple of cases, had to cut some very talented players in camp as well, in, in a Megan Gustafson who you brought back, and then Kennedy Burke, who you loved as well, but uh, eventually she goes on to uh, play a big role last year as well in the WNBA. So it, it's just, it, it's an amazing, very difficult job that you have. And that brings me to this, because uh, you bring up, you know, at, at some point, you got a math problem. So... How active will you be up until the draft as far as trades go? Obviously, trades were uh, active around the league once free agency opened. But how much do you anticipate that will ramp back up on draft night? Or do you think it's, it's more the days leading up to the draft where we might see a little bit more movement? What is your anticipation as far as that goes? There have been ongoing conversations like there are every year. Uh, amongst all the teams relative to different potential deals and scenarios. We've certainly been engaged in those. We'll continue to be engaged in those right up until the draft and perhaps during the draft itself or immediately thereafter. I think our unique position in terms of having four of the top nine picks, six overall, and, you know, a lot of players under contract, a lot of good young players who happen to be friendly relative to the salary cap, I would like to think we'll be in the center of a lot of that action and we'll have a lot of opportunities. It's just, you know, acting upon the right one that makes the most sense for us, not just for today or tomorrow, but again, taking a long-term approach to this roster um, and thinking about what this team can be for the foreseeable future. And coming into this draft, you know that at least one of your roster spots has uh, opened up with Amani McGee Stafford deciding to step away and, and go to law school, pursue that part of her life at this point in her career. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, that process of, of learning that and, and what that might open up for you as far as what you might be looking for in the draft uh, to replace a player and the skill set she gives you? Sure. Amani had signed her qualifying offer and was, you know, set to come into camp and compete for a roster spot. She called me earlier this week and let me know that she had applied to and been accepted into an accelerated uh, law program and that, you know, she was going to pursue that opportunity because, as I already knew, you know, a career in law and advocating for others was something that had long been on her her goal list. So, you know, we're nothing of supportive of that. I think she'll do great in that regard. You know, she hasn't closed the door on coming back and playing someday after she's finished her studies. And, 
if that opportunity presents itself, we'll we'll have a discussion at the appropriate time. But at this point, really happy for her and um, look forward to you know watching her progress through the law school process. In terms of us, it, you know, it takes us from 15 players under contract for camp down to 14 under contract for camp. Um, it certainly you know creates enhanced opportunity for the post players who uh, may currently be scheduled to come to camp and those that may. Uh, be scheduled to come to camp once we follow the uh, once we finish the draft process. So um, it just it creates more opportunities for others. It narrows the field slightly. Um, you know, Amani did nice things for us last year in her first year with us. Um, but at this point, nothing but supportive of her. Um, and I'm sure that with the number of players and the talented people we'll have in camp, uh, we'll be fine in that regard. Do you feel like you have to? draft a point guard I know you've talked a lot about Mariah and how excited you are about her but is it a must that you draft a point guard with one of those first four picks no I don't think so uh I think we're in a dramatically different place going into this season as an organization relative to the point guard position than we were last year you know last year we didn't have obviously Skyler who was taking care of her young child. We signed Brooke McCarty-Williams. Brooke didn't have a ton of experience in the WNBA. Um, and Kayla Davis uh, provided us uh, minutes at the point guard position, albeit that's not her natural position. So what we ended up doing really uh, is point guard by position. And by the end of the season, Enrique actually was logging the most minutes at point. And that was a tall order because Enrique had never played point guard at a high level anywhere before. So in, in addition to being our, our number one scoring option, in addition to being the focal point of how teams prepared for us, um, she was also um, asked to have the ball in her hands and run her offense uh, at a level that she hadn't been accustomed to doing so previously. Um, this year, um, as we prepare to enter camp, we have a healthy Mariah Jefferson uh, who will be entering camp. We have Arike, who we know uh, can handle the ball in a pinch if necessary. Uh, and we have six picks. So while I don't think it's a necessity that we exit the draft with a point guard, it's certainly on our to-do list. And I think, fortunately, if you look at this draft class, uh, there are a number of quality players that would list point guard as their natural position. So I think if we want to act upon that need, we certainly will have an opportunity to do so. But having Mariah healthy and ready to go, you know, people I feel have forgotten a little bit about her because she hasn't played a lot in our league the last couple of summers. But she won four national championships at UConn. Um, she was a number two overall pick in her draft class uh, behind Brianna Stewart. And she had a really good rookie season uh, when the Las Vegas Aces previously uh, were in San Antonio. So I, I'm excited to have Mariah healthy and on the court as our quarterback. I think she's going to surprise or at least remind people of what kind of player she can be. And as I've said many times before, you know, a team without a point guard is the equivalent of a football team without a starting quarterback. It, it's not just about the impact at that position. It's about the impact at all positions and how it really makes everything more difficult from the offensive side of the basketball. So having Mariah is going to be really important for us. Having an experienced Arike will be really important for us, and then certainly we'll have the opportunity to address that need if necessary in the draft. Something that uh, was said all at the end of last year was uh, the need for better outside shooting, and certainly you have tried to address that 
in the free agency period and with you know trades you made during that free agency period, do you still look at that as a major need um, at the top of this draft as well? And do you think that there are players um, potentially that can help you out there in the first round? Yeah, it's, it's not been a secret that we've struggled to shoot the basketball, especially from long distance the last couple of years. And it was an area that we, you know, put at the top of our priority list um, coming out of last year and preparing for this year. And I think we've already addressed that a little bit. You know, I think the headline there is uh, Katie Lou Samuelson. You know, I've mentioned on the record previously, dealing Azure Stevens was really hard for me. Uh, we obviously drafted Azure. I think Azure's skill set um, and uniqueness uh, provide her with potentially one of the highest ceilings of any player in the WNBA. And if she can maximize that potential, she's going to be really special. On top of that, she's a great young lady. And it was really hard um, uh, to make a deal that, that moved us on from her. But, you know, a lot of times in this league, you have to give value to get value. Um, after we had acquired um, a stew from Chicago, um, a stew has a game that's similar in style to Azure. So we had sort of duplicate type of players at that position. Uh, what we hadn't gotten yet was any kind of shooting or consistent shooting in a player profile. And Katie Lou Samuelson, that's her greatest strength, is her ability to shoot the basketball. So we did that deal. And, of course, the kicker for us was we also acquired a 2021 first-round pick in the process, uh, which will have value and has value today. Uh, But really it was about Katie Lou and providing some, you know, what I call pure shooting ability on the roster. And then along with that deal, shortly thereafter, we were able to acquire uh, Marina Mabry uh, from the LA Sparks um, in exchange for a 2021 second round pick. So Marina will come to camp uh, and she is an excellent shooter as well. So I think we've started to address those issues. Uh, Mariah shoots the ball pretty well in addition, so she'll be on the roster. Uh, and then again in the draft, uh, that will be certainly a factor that we take into consideration in regards to what we're looking for. So. I think uh, we'll be a much improved team in terms of shooting the basketball, especially from range in 2020. When you've got so many picks, four in the first nine, uh, five in the first 15, six overall, can you afford, if you end up you know, having all those picks, if you don't deal them for other picks to, to move up or whatever, can you afford to go after the high ceiling rather than something that you know what you're getting, but it they look kind of finished out. Can you afford to go after more high ceiling type players and see if one or two of those pan out? You know, we have scenario uh, planned in a multitude of ways. It's something that myself and head coach Brian Agler and our staff spend endless hours discussing and contemplating. And typically that's in an in-person environment right now. We, you know, do a video conference, but you know, the good thing about where we sit is we have a lot of opportunity, a lot of options. Um, and, you know, we'll all start for us with that pick at number two and go from there. But certainly we have our, our plans and our preferred path through the draft. And we're just going to have to wait and, and see how it goes. Obviously, this league, you know, talent wins basketball games. You have to have talent. This is the best 144 players in the world competing uh, to win a championship every year. So if you don't have talent, you're not going to win. Um, so you need to have talent. And that's that's kind of a simple statement, right? Like a no kidding kind of statement. But I always lean talent first 
but certainly we have an idea of how we want to build out our roster. And I think we're going to have an opportunity to take uh, several huge steps forward uh, through this draft process. As sports starved as we are right now as a nation, as needy as we are for some sort of distraction from just the, the horrible nature of, of this virus that's, that's ripping through the country. How good is this for women's basketball to be on the center stage as the first major event here in April in the last, you know, almost two months that the uh, WNBA draft gets that, that center stage billing? Well, you know, hopefully this is a little bit of a silver lining to a terrible situation in that, you know, the lack of activity uh, across the general sports landscape uh, is really prevalent right now. Uh, and to your point, I think we all would love to have the distraction of sport, whether you're working in, in the industry or not. I, mean, I think we're all fans first, and we would love to have sport to help us through this tough time. Uh, and I think, you know, our partners uh, are eager um, to have content to provide to us all. So I hope that there's a silver lining here in terms of the coverage uh, leading up to, during, and after the draft. And the awareness and attention um, that our league uh, can get and, and I believe deserves uh, during this process, knowing that between now and, and April 17th, unfortunately, um, the sports landscape is going to be fairly quiet. So uh, to answer your question, hopefully um, everyone, uh, both those folks who have followed the league for a long time and those folks perhaps who haven't given us a chance, will tune in on the 17th uh, to see what our league is all about and to be introduced to the next class of WNBA stars. Greg, I really appreciate your time and you giving us and, and taking us through this complicated process for you guys, but certainly an exciting time as well. So best of luck to you as you try to make all the best decisions to make the Dallas Wings um, an even better team after you get through on uh, on April the 17th. So thanks so much for the time. Well, thank you, John. And again, I hope everyone stays safe and healthy. And of course, the most important thing, no matter who you root for and what player you'd like to see drafted, tune in to ESPN on the 17th. I believe it's uh, 7 p.m. Eastern um, for the for the draft coverage and, and support our league. But stay healthy, stay safe. That's Greg Bibb, the president, CEO, and head honcho, the general manager of the Dallas Wings. Appreciate his time. He is going to be super busy. You know, I was sitting on that podcast interview for the last couple weeks, just kind of crossing everything I had, hoping that he wouldn't make any trades uh, between then and now, just so uh, it didn't expire. The validity of anything he said didn't expire. He hasn't made any trades yet, but uh, you know there's a good possibility he will based on having four of the first nine picks in this draft. So it'll be interesting to see over these last couple days of the week. And on Friday, what goes down? Make sure to watch the WNBA draft on Friday. We've got a really cool interview lined up for right after the draft that we hope to put out over the weekend, early next week, to break down the WNBA draft. It is a name you know and love, and so you are going to uh, love that interview as well. But more than anything, I hope you're just fired up for the WNBA draft like we are. Make sure to rate and review the podcast. If you don't know how to do that, I'm talking about on Apple Podcasts. If you listen to it 
on Apple Podcasts, if you have an iPhone, basically, you can scroll down to the bottom of the, the different episodes we have and then give it a rating, uh, one through five stars, whatever you think it is, deserves. Just uh, click on uh, one, two, three, four, or five stars, and then you can write us a review as well, and that helps people find the show. It helps people know how uh, great the show has been for you, and we really appreciate that because uh, we're showing up higher and higher when it comes to uh, searching for WNBA or women's basketball in the podcast stores out there and uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Reach out to us as well uh, at Her Hoop Stats on Twitter. I'm at John Little Voice. Little is spelled with D's. And you can also email us podcast at HerHoopStats.com. Hope you're ready for the WNBA draft and hope it's a great time for you. Thanks so much to Aaron Barzilai, our executive producer of the show. Jared Deck does the music, jareddeckmusic.com, and Susie Solis is our announcer. I'm your host, John Little. Until next time, after the WNBA draft, reminding you, at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats.